What happens to jobs, the economy, and business when a company can create the perfect worker out of silicon and steel? Amazon's new warehouse robots, unveiled this week, could have lasting implications for the company and its workforce at a pivotal moment for technology and the labor movement. We have one of our autonomous robots that we call Proteus here live on stage carrying one of our go-karts. The really cool part is that it's human aware. It understands where I am or a group of people around me and will methodically make its way to the destination. Amazon says it sees immense long-term benefits for worker safety, productivity, and efficiency, with robots ultimately helping humans do better and more fulfilling work, not taking their jobs. A symphony of people and machines working together. We build our machines such that humans are at the center of the robotics universe. And at the highest level, the very highest level, we aim to extend human capability and build collaboration between people and machines. That's the chief technologist for Amazon Robotics, Ty Brady, unveiling the new robots on stage in Las Vegas this week at Remars, an Amazon conference focusing on machine learning, automation, robotics, and space. Others see it differently. Philip Sue, a software engineering leader who did hourly work last fall inside an Amazon warehouse, welcomes the safety improvements, but says it's hard to overlook the pragmatic long-term implications for the nature of work. Whereas my experience at the warehouse made me feel really empathetic toward worker protections and the need for maybe things like unions or regulations to protect workers, I have to at the same time acknowledge the higher the standards and protection that unions or other facilities provide workers, the higher the motivation for a company like Amazon to more quickly invest in and deploy these sorts of labor-removing technologies. I'm GeekWire co-founder Todd Bishop. On this episode of the GeekWire podcast, recorded on location at Amazon Remars in Las Vegas, I sit down with Amazon Robotics chief technologist Ty Brady to talk about the new robots. Then I jump on the line to reconnect with recent GeekWire podcast guest Philip Sue to get his take on all of this after he watched the keynote. So I'm Ty Brady. I'm the chief technologist at Amazon Robotics. Ty, you were on stage at Remars introducing some of the company's latest robots and talking yeah. at a high level about what Amazon has been doing over the past 10 years. It's hard to believe it's been 10 years. It is hard to believe it's been 10 years. Since the acquisition of Kiva yeah. Systems, which really was the... the, the a catalyst, I'd say. Yeah, yeah for exactly. serious investment in robotics with Amazon. Can you, for folks who may not have seen it, give me a sense for the different robots that you announced today. Sure. Um, I'm a big fan of Proteus so far. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, well, thank you. <laughs> so, uh, but can you give me a sense for what these robots do and how they fit in the context of the evolution of robotics at Excellent. Amazon? Sure. So uh, first, even before I get into specific robots, it's about people and machines working together, right? It's extending human capability, human reach. It's more about collaborative robotics. That's the new dawn of a, an amazing era, right? So how can we have machines extend human reach? Uh, how can our machines allow us to do the job easier and safer? How can we build machines that 
you work alongside uh, with. So today uh, we shared uh, three of those. Uh, one was a rather large system that we call the containerized storage system, uh, where we're containerizing the storage of goods, and then we can automate the movement of those containers uh, throughout our building in order to kind of pass along uh, the right good at the right time uh, at a low cost to our customers. And the thing that struck me about this was you will see associates less and less going up ladders That's or right. stooping down to pick things up because effectively this containerized system uses a robotic arm to grab those containers and present it in a position where the associates can work with it more ergonomically. That's exactly right. So when we uh, reimagine storage, we didn't want people to if they didn't have to be on ladders, we don't want them to have on ladders. And, and if you didn't have to reach down to lift up a heavy object, we don't want that. Or if you had to stretch to get an object that's on the top of a pod, if we had a chance to uh, reinvent a storage, which we did, we wanted to do two things. We wanted to, number one, improve safety for our employees, and then also the efficiencies of the operation, right? So now if we have a container that is automatically pulled out of the pod, we can put that container at what we call the Goldilocks zone. It's the power zone that we're most comfortable with, right? So you're able to pick and stow into the containers at a height that is more natural. There's no twisting or repetitive motion that's more natural for our employees uh, to put goods into or take goods out of the container. So it's a win all the way around. That was a container system. Cardinal was yeah. really interesting to me for a variety of reasons. But this is essentially a self-contained area where the robot is picking up packages, scanning them, and then putting them into the go-karts, which are the big That's right. manual carts. I've been in some Amazon yeah, distribution you're, you're, facilities. Yeah, you're fluent with these terms. I like it. <laughs> and the, the go-karts, those can be really heavy. They can be really heavy. And, and, and again, safety is forefront. We didn't want people pushing these heavy carts around, and sometimes they're hard to see around. So can we automate that in a way that makes it uh, better for our employees? And Cardinal is fascinating, right? So Cardinal's actually extension of Robin, which is the robotic induct process. Robin's actually out in the field uh, today where we uh, have the ability to lift packages, all sorts of packages, heavy packages, light packages, particularly the, the heavy ones. We, we like to do that with robotic arms, and we place those onto sort drives so that we can sort the packages to the various zip codes and different uh, delivery routes that are uh, for our customers. And we took that a little bit further. So we said, okay, once we have this mastery of manipulating and identifying packages, uh, which we have in the field today, can we then load those into the go-karts with a number of packages? So now we can move things in bulk. And also what's cool about Cardinal is that it's the ultimate game of Tetris. We don't know what packages are coming, and we need to stack those packages in a way that we call is cube efficient. We want to pack as many of those packages into one of those go-karts uh, as possible. And uh, it's an amazing team. They, they've, they've solved this problem. Uh, it's uh, really incredible to see these uh, go-karts just packed out uh, so well, uh, safely. And then you mentioned Proteus. We love Proteus as well, right? So, and then a Proteus vehicle can come underneath that that go kart that has all the packages in, inside it, and then move that safely around people. So that's the big difference. That's people, a huge difference. People have seen these kinds of platforms, and Proteus will remind folks of the original Kiva robots and the evolution of those under Amazon Robotics. But if you go into a fulfillment center or sortation center, those are today within these pens almost. Right. Fenced in areas. We call them structured fields. Exactly. And so up until now, you have not seen those maneuvering around in areas where humans are. 
That's correct. Inside uh, any one of our uh, fulfillment centers that uh, is a robotic fulfillment center, we have this structured field area where we actually store uh, the goods. And movement was really restricted inside those structured fields. With Proteus, it's a game changer. So now we can do movement from the inbound dock all the way to the outbound dock. And what is incredible about it is it has the ability to work safely around people and still get the job done. The part that maybe didn't jump uh, jump off on sta- stage so much because it was just a, a simple demonstration is that if I had 30 or 40 people on stage with me, it can still make its way to where it needed to go. It does it very methodically. It does it very safely, very slowly, but it's always making forward progress. And why that's state-of-the-art is that I think if you would look around at any comparable system, what they tend to do is just stop. They'll just stop and wait for the 30 or 40 people to move aside. Again, that kind of violates the philosophy uh, that we have is that we want to build our machines to be part of the human environment. We don't want our employees to do anything different than what they're doing today. They do an exceptional job of problem solving and and using common sense and reasoning and and figuring out what's going on. So we don't want to ask them to accommodate a machine. Instead, we want our machine to intelligently, and in this case, it's a mobility device, move through. If there's 30 or 40 people, maybe there's a reason uh, for that, right? It's really incredible to see. So I'd love to share that video uh, sometime as well. You made the point on stage in, in a post that Amazon published last night. The company made the point that you have more than 500,000 yeah, drive right. units. Drive units, robot units. And over the same time period, you've hired roughly a million people thereby debunking the notion that automation takes away jobs. I read that, though, and I listened to you this morning, and I couldn't help but wonder if we're not just somewhere on a continuum toward automation and robotics eventually reducing the need for human labor, even if we haven't seen it yet. And the thing that struck me was, can you imagine if Henry Ford had been able to create his ideal worker out of steel and silicon. And Amazon has that capability. And and especially if you look at Cardinal, I don't know why, but Cardinal just stands (laughs) out to me as doing the work of seemingly dozens of people so efficiently. What are your thoughts on all that? Yeah, it's uh, I, I get it. I just don't have that as a philosophy. And I really just don't believe it. I believe that robotics improves productivity, robotics when done right. So collaborative robotics, robotics that is a tool for people to use that's intuitive and natural. Then when you start to do that, things get easier and you become more productive. uh, Maybe I can just give a really simple example. At my house, I have, uh, you know, a fair number of robots, right? I have a dishwasher. It's an amazing robot. I I have a, a robotic vacuum cleaner that goes around. And this is the type of robotics that allows me to focus on other things. Now, I can tell you, if you're like me, I don't run out of things to do on the weekend. There's always a lot of stuff that we need to do. But if but the machinery that we have inside our house allows me to focus on those tasks. When I'm home, I want to connect with my loved ones. I want to talk to my daughters, right? If something can do the dishes for me, have at it. It gives me, the I'll say, the convenience or the courtesy the robotics, I could do it myself, but the convenience of the courtesy for it to do that, I'm good with. I like that because it allows me to focus on mostly uh, what, what matters. Now, sometimes there's a deficit that needs to be filled, right? If you are going to go to the moon, 
You're going to need a spaceship. You're going to need uh, an astronaut suit. You need machinery to go to the moon. There's a deficit. Our human bodies can't just walk on the surface of the moon as is. So you add machinery in order to achieve a new capability. And our philosophy is that we will, we will innovate in both of those ways in a way that extends human capability and makes it better and safer for our employees. Does that make sense? And then also, like if you look at the past hundred years when it comes to automation, we've had some incredible things that happened in the past hundred years. I talked about barnstormers. There's the age of the internet. There's computers have been born. Uh, we really started to understand physics in, in a way like incredible things. We're continuing to add jobs. Zoom out big picture. Our economy continues to grow. We continue to add jobs. It's those that reframe their relationship with machines in a collaborative manner that will advance the state of the art. We'll be right back with the rest of our conversation with Ty Brady, Chief Technologist for Amazon Robotics. Technology moves fast. I need to move faster. WGU's competency-based education puts me in control of how fast I move through my IT degree program. I can accelerate my program by applying what I already know to my courses and focusing on the things I need to learn. Earn a respected accredited degree that propels your career in the IT field. Learn more at wgu.edu backslash IT certs included. I've been talking a lot recently with a software engineer by the name of Philip Sue. He was an engineering leader at Facebook and Microsoft and decided he wanted structured hourly work last year. And so he applied and got hired at Kent, the the flagship warehouse. And he's got this great podcast um, that, that he's put out called Peak Salvation. I asked Philip to tune into the keynote this morning. Oh, cool. He had, cool. He had a few different takeaways. That's great. Real-time um, feedback. Yeah, I'm ready. He, yeah, he had a few different <laughs> takeaways. So one of them was, first off, he loved Cardinal too because oh, awesome. he developed tendonitis while he was huh. working there. And so he was he could see in Cardinal the ability to avoid those kinds of those injuries. The repetitive motions. Exactly. He's concerned over time that the automation and working with robots will take any of the human license, the human creativity out of it. One of the things that he enjoyed was when he was working in ship dock in Kent, he would be able to take a break and push the go-karts across. And so then he sees in Proteus taking away some of his freedom and creativity. How do you think about not just the absence or presence of jobs, but right. making sure that the jobs that remain are fulfilling for people. You just have to reframe your relationship. It's not humans versus machines. It's humans and machines working together to do a task. Like it's, I, I do say it a lot. I don't think it sinks in with people, right? So we all use computers. We have, you have computers in your recording device. Like I don't think you're afraid of the computer, right? If you are a chef, you want the best tools in the kitchen. If you are a carpenter, you want the the best tool set that that you can have. At the heart of our fulfillment process are our employees that are applying amazing problem-solving skills, common sense, reasoning, understanding the overall system, and that need will never go away. The job goes to us of how can we supplement, how can we add machinery and uh, tools to their toolbox in order to do the job better. Now, if it turns out, and we are experimentalists as well, that's what I love about Amazon, we, innovations in our DNA. If it turns out that the employees would rather push the carts because there's, there's an efficiency gain, uh, it, it's 
for whatever reason, then we will we will reflect that, right? If it makes sense, if that's what, what makes sense. But my guess is, my guess is, like I said, I don't like doing the laundry or carrying a laundry basket. If something can carry a laundry basket for me, I'm okay with that. Thanks, because I got other stuff that, that I need to do. And that will always be present in any industrial situation, right? But can you bring it to a higher level? That's the amazing and the fascinating part about this barnstorming new golden arrow that we're in today. And it's a, a complete reframing. And it's not trivial, right? Because you have to design your machines to understand the intent of a, a person. That's, that's not easy. And then the person also needs uh, – you need to design the machine to, so that the intent of the machine is clear to the person. So the person knows what's available to them and how they can best utilize uh, the, the, the robot. That's, that's not easy as well. And there's a huge body of research that we have yet to do on that. I do believe that over time, over the next 10 years, that's going to that's gonna be the game-changing uh, technology, right? Just human-machine interaction fundamentally. Clearly – Safety is a critical issue for Absolutely. Amazon right now. Um, Andy Jassy. Always, not just right now. Understood. Always. Understood. The company has been under increasing scrutiny over some of the safety records. And, and I know that, as Andy Jassy has said in the shareholders meeting recently, there's all sorts of different ways to crunch the data and don't need to go down that rabbit hole. But I am curious, is there a way for you to give me, if not a quantifiable, then a qualitative sense for what kind of impact these latest robotic systems could have on safety at Amazon? Yeah, uh, stick to what I showed you today. So the containerized storage system, it will reduce MSD, right? So we like that. We know that that, uh, if you're not having people lift heavy uh, objects, if we can take repetitive motions away, the twisting and the turning, that's great for our employees. So that's what our invention, that's what our innovation will allow for, while also meeting customer orders. That hard engineering, I, I said it in the talk, complex is easy, simple is hard. Like we work hard to make it so simple and so natural that folks will want to use it. I'm super encouraged by the the innovation that we've done around safety, that we continue to do around safety. And as time goes on, I think it will only get better. I didn't even mention ARID. <laughs> right. I actually right. think that might be my part. favorite one <laughs> because I have seen, especially in some of the delivery stations, yeah. That whole idea of you just got this constant scanner in your right or your left hand, you're grabbing boxes with one, and the ARID system is analogous to like a grocery scanner at a self-checkout right. where you can just move the package through and it automatically detects. I'd say even better than the grocery scanner checkout because at that, that you actually have to find the barcode and then put the barcode down. So you need to identify the barcode or whatever text, identifying text, and put that down. ARID actually brings that even one level. You don't even have to do that. You put it in your hand, it's going to find it. It's a suite of cameras, low-cost cameras that we have, and all the magic is in the machine learning that we've done and in the software that we've done in order to identify and uh, disambiguate the barcodes and the text really quickly and over large volumes at high resolution. Amazing work by our team. Last thing here, yeah. you had Digit, the agility robotics yeah. uh, warehouse robot on yeah. stage, which is very humanoid. Do you envision Digit or other humanoid robots 
becoming a presence in Amazon warehouses? Well, the part of the innovation fund is for us to see these these early companies. Like I said, it's the early days uh, of robotics. And uh, Agility Robotics caught our eye because it's a bipedal uh, robot. We don't know too much about bipedal robotics. Uh, we're happy to kind of follow them along their journey, see you know how well it, it's doing. Uh, we're, we've invested in Agility. They're a great company. Uh, I think they're really pushing the boundaries out there. So kind of looking forward to see what they come up with. Thank you very much for talking with me. Really, my pleasure. Thank you. Coming up, robots and the future of work from the perspective of a software engineering leader turned Amazon warehouse worker. This GeekWire podcast is sponsored in part by Yale University Press. Are you concerned about the rise of AI and how it will impact our society? Every day, artificial intelligence presents us with urgent ethical challenges. How do we harness this extraordinary technology to empower rather than oppress? Nigel Shadbolt and Roger Hampson have written a how-to for building ethical machine intelligence. Their new book, As If Human, Ethics and Artificial Intelligence, is now available wherever books are sold. It's great to be joined again by Philip Sue, who is a former Microsoft and Facebook slash meta engineering leader who was a recent guest on the GeekWire podcast talking about his experience working peak season at an Amazon fulfillment center in Kent, Washington, just south of Seattle. Philip, it's great to have you back. It's great to be back, Todd. I invited you back on because I'm actually down in Las Vegas at an Amazon conference called ReMars, which stands for Machine Learning, Automation, Robotics, and Space. And Amazon announced a series of new robotic systems and robots for its fulfillment centers and warehouses, very much like the place where you worked last peak season. This was a key topic of your podcast, Peak Salvation. And I know that you watched the keynote with Ty Brady, the head of technology for Amazon Robotics. What was your overall reaction to the robots that they announced? Yeah, thanks for asking. You know, one of the key reasons I had joined Amazon on the warehouse floor was my keen interest both in robots and specifically in how they might shape and change the future of work. And I think this morning's announcements were right spot on with some of the things I was both hoping to see and also some of the things that I was kind of fearing to see, you know. And so on the hope side, you know, seeing that one robot that was packing boxes into carts in outbound ship dock, that was essentially a huge part of my job. 11 hours with overtime, five days a week during peak, most of the time was spent doing what that robot was doing. And so I very much was thrilled to see that Amazon might deploy a robot for that work because I myself got tendonitis doing that work, lifting with my arms probably about six tons per day. And I think any news about a robot taking up some of that weight and really managing some of that itself is overall great news. On the less optimistic side, I do think it was significant that although Amazon in its keynote build this robotic future as sort of a symphony of humans and robots working together and how, if I could quote them correctly, they said something like humans are at the center of our design, right? It was very telling to me that when they showed a series of before and after videos, you know, before robot, look at this. And then after robot, look at this. Each of the before videos prominently showed an Amazon warehouse associate doing work. And the after video was very cleanly free of humans at all. 
And so I do think that this is the beginning of a vast change that's going to happen in warehouses. There were a few different robots that they showed. One was called Proteus, and that was an evolution of Amazon's existing robots that can slide under and then lift up carts. However, it will be able to go into areas of the warehouse where people are also walking around. And so in that way, it's much more integrated with the work. And one thing that they said it was going to be able to do was lift up these heavy go-karts, they call them, right? Is that the phrase they use? Yeah, that is the go-karts. And right now, you and your former colleagues would have wheeled these heavy carts through the fulfillment center. But the idea is now these platforms can do that not only in a confined area, but throughout the warehouse. What did you think of that? Yeah, I thought it was pretty interesting in, in two ways. One is one of the main reasons I liked working in outbound ShipDock, and one of the reasons that many warehouse associates apply to work in ShipDock, is because it's one of the few jobs that involve a variety of movement. You're sometimes sorting boxes into these go-karts, but sometimes when they're full, you close them up and you roll them to their next destination. And that involves more than just the physical rolling of it. And by the way, this might not be something that occurs to people. You would think that, you know, rolling a cart full of boxes, that's the tough part of the job. Actually, boxes on wheels, that's the easy part of the job. The tough part was lifting the boxes in, right? Once you roll them, there's also the slight mental challenge of, you know, exactly which destination does this car go to? Should I park it here versus there? So there's both a little bit of mind and body engagement. It's a change in muscle groups that you use throughout the day. And so it's actually kind of nice to be able to roll that cart around. When I saw Proteus, I thought, first of all, oh, no, one of the varieties of the job is going away, you know, in the same way that Ford's innovation with the assembly line really was saying, hey, let me micro slice your expertise into fine shards and you focus on your one little thing. You're screwing in nut 48, you know, throughout <laughs> the day, right? Um, you can get very fast at screwing in nut 48. But the problem is all the variety that you used to have in working on different parts of, let's say, the car assembly, or in this case, pack packing outbound ship dock um, is just reduced by one more thing. But one other notable thing I saw with Proteus's announcement is they were so proud that this robot can integrate in a human environment and avoid human obstacles and things like this. So think about it this way. If you ran an autocratic government that had autonomous vehicles, right, uh, and they worked well with human vehicles, let's suppose you got that tech perfectly right. So they're safe amongst humans. If you cared about efficiency at all, how would you run the highways and the road systems within your little kingdom? You'd, of course, segment between lanes that are meant for autonomous vehicles only and lanes meant for humans. Why? Because the autonomous vehicles can drive 180 miles an hour completely accident-free if only the humans would get out of the way. And even if the vehicles are perfect at dodging humans, it's just not the efficient way to run it. And so I think that anybody who really thinks about this problem will say that the human avoidance is no doubt a safety feature, which is very nice. But the only sensible way to run these robots within a warehouse is to create lanes where humans shall not enter. Just as you know, Todd, today's picker robots, you know, the ones, the Kiva robots that operate in the picker domain, they are caged in with big signs that say you shall never enter this area when robots are moving simply because the robots and the humans just can 
cannot interact, I think, anywhere near as efficiently as robots given right of way, the way that trains versus vehicle traffic, trains are given right of way. I have no doubt that these Proteus robots will eventually have their own lanes and warehouses given absolute right of way to speed by as fast as they can. And humans need to then adapt their work around the flow of the robots. Another robot that stood out to me was Cardinal. This is one that sits there and picks packages off of the bottom of a conveyor belt and then simultaneously picks them up individually, one by one, scans them, and then places them into these go-karts, at which point the Proteus can come in and pick up the go-kart and take it away. So you can kind of start to see where this system... Proteus and Cardinal, to use the Amazon names, is effectively replacing tons of jobs, or at least the functions of multiple human beings. And I asked Ty Brady at Amazon about this. What were your thoughts when you saw Cardinal in particular, Philip? Oh, yeah, definitely will do a better job than humans over time. I have full belief in that and will greatly reduce uh, the sort of injuries that I got when lifting boxes. There's no doubt in my mind that the future is going to be filled with these robots. Some of Ty's uh, sort of talking around it, I think is understandable in the same way that whenever you talk to Uber back when they were trying to make autonomous vehicles, of course they can't go out and say that the primary goal is to eliminate all the partners, right? But I do think that over time, Time, humans are going to be a thing that needs to be optimized out of the warehouse. You know, the true irony here, I think, is whereas my experience at the warehouse made me feel really empathetic toward worker protections and the need for maybe things like unions or regulations to protect workers, I have to at the same time acknowledge the higher the standards and protection that unions or other facilities provide workers, the higher the motivation for a company like Amazon to more quickly invest in and deploy these sorts of labor-removing technologies. Because you've then simply greatly raised the prize or the bounty of optimizing the human out. Amazon would make the point in response that they have implemented about 500,000 robotic units, robotic drive units over the past 10 years and hired upwards of a million people or more in that time frame. My point to Ty Brady on that was, well, maybe we're just at this stage of the evolution where we haven't yet gotten to the point where the machines are outnumbering the people and yet we're seeing fewer jobs than we would have otherwise. It's a subtle thing because, you know, I benefit from Amazon's efficiency, not only as a customer, but definitely when I worked in the warehouse, it is true that some parts of the automation do make it possible for the humans to do their thing faster and better as well. So that part is absolutely true. But one thing I wonder is when you close your eyes and think about the warehouse of the future, what is going on in there? I feel like it's very clear to me as a technologist, the warehouse of the future is a dark warehouse that doesn't have humans in it. That is where data centers went. That is where everything will go eventually. The question is about the speed, when it will happen, and it's about whether or not people resist or not. But in that dark warehouse, I think the interesting question then to your point, Todd, of us being on a path is sort of thinking through, okay, if the future warehouse is dark with no humans in it, what is the penultimate warehouse 
Like, what is the warehouse that was right before that very last step? And exactly what were the humans doing in there? And I guarantee you what the humans were doing is not being the maestro of this orchestra, the symphony of humans and robots that Amazon talks about. And the reason I know that is the same reason why longshoremen were replaced by boxes and containers is because the complexity of packing a modern container ship of between 4,000 and 10,000 containers is so complex that no human maestro could possibly be expected to add value to the decision making when it comes to packing and unpacking a ship. So I think in no way is the penultimate warehouse about a human maestro or several human maestros exercising their creativity and wit and everything, moving packages. It's much more about what humans are used today in steps in Amazon's process where humans are needed, which is humans are needed for their supple fingers, their nimble hands. That's what humans are needed for in warehouses today. And I think the penultimate warehouse will likely have humans doing an extremely sort of dehumanized version of that. As with pickers being timed for picking an object every six and a half seconds or 6.8 seconds, I think the last humans to work in an Amazon warehouse will be doing something repetitive that their robot comrades cannot yet do. In our emails back and forth, one of the citations you made was to a book by Steven Pinker called Drive. And he has three elements that he says are essential to work happiness autonomy, mastery, and purpose. And this really gets to what we're talking about here because we're not necessarily just talking about automation and robotics replacing jobs and counting the number of jobs in the workforce. We're talking about the quality of those jobs. What do you think happens to the workforce and the nature of these jobs within that framework that Pinker talks about? Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up because I think in a way, robots and the efficiency they bring to our society and economy are directly eroding all three of those things, autonomy, mastery, and purpose. Let's take them one at a time. Take autonomy. This ability to make choices is hugely important to being happy in our work. But a lot of choices honestly also involve the possibility of error, right? Our ability to make choices is also an ability to err. And I think a lot of quality control and error elimination in warehouses is about removing the human decision-making out of the loop which is why for a lot of times, humans now don't have choices in warehouses. Take race car driving, for example, right? Why are most race circuits not just a single lane wide? Why are they two or three lanes wide? Well, the entire point is, if an entire F1 race circuit was one lane wide, there would be no choice to be made by the driver at all. You know exactly what race line you're driving. It's the only line that fits on the entire course. It makes for an uninteresting race. The reason you need the width is not only to pass other cars. Width on a racetrack allows you the autonomy to decide which race lines to take in wet and dry conditions with other cars near you. It creates the universe of interest within racing. And I think similarly, you could say, can't we make people faster the way Ford did by micro slicing their expertise into little tiny slices where they don't make choices. They just screw in screw number 42, right? Well, you could, but the problem is you eliminate that autonomy. And then that's related to mastery in that what do we mean when a person has mastered something? I think part of what we mean when the person's job is the same from day to day, but that they have become masterful in their work Part of what we mean by that is that they have chosen through experience a series of choices in their autonomy 
that lead to a really great execution of their job. That's what I think we mean by mastery. And so when you take away autonomy, you also remove the possibility of mastery because there's not the wide enough swim lanes, basically, for you to be able to do that mastery. And purpose was the first thing to go in an Amazon warehouse. The fact that your managers don't even know necessarily who you are and why you're being asked to be fired, but they're told like, hey, it's time to fire this guy. His name is in red, right? Um, Or the fact that no worker on the floor really understands what's going on on in the bigger sense. They are just told to move this package from here to there. I think we lost purpose in an Amazon warehouse a long time ago. It's so interesting. One of the things that struck me most in our past conversation and in your podcast, Peak Salvation, was that anonymity that you're referencing now. And in the context of this announcement, isn't it notable that the robots have names? (laughs) right totally right (laughs) (laughs) so how would you sum up your overall sense of where these announcements that we saw today leave us yeah i think overall i am definitely not a luddite i love technology and i love the improvements that it brings to all of us i have zero doubt that robotization of warehouses over time will reduce injury and error make things more efficient all of those things i think are true the question at the base of it for me is about ownership and about where the benefits really accrue in our society to deploying these robots. When these robots are finally deployed, the benefits don't necessarily accrue to the workers themselves. If you think about Sigourney Weaver in Alien or Aliens, whichever one where she gets into a robotic suit and she fights the alien, right? Like when a robot is yours and you use the robot as a tool, it is tremendously empowering. You can achieve these amazing things, right? But the question in this case is the workers don't own these robots. They aren't donning Sigourney Weaver style alien fighting robots. They are being asked to work alongside these robots at first and eventually to fill the only gaps the robots cannot do with their supple human hands you know they are being asked to do this for people to whom the goods and the benefits really accrue so i think part of it for our society is a question of are the benefits of robotization really accruing broadly to america and americans as a whole or are they accruing to a few owners of intellectual property and the rest of us have to fight it out amongst the remaining jobs available that's the sense in which although i'm not a luddite i'm very tech forward i'm very concerned about how we are deciding to basically slice this increasing pie that we're baking together Hmm. Philip Sooth, thanks so much for jumping back on the line with us. It's great to talk with you in the context of some news that just came out. So appreciate it very much. Yeah, great connecting again with you, Todd. Philip Sue is a former software engineering leader for Microsoft and Facebook who documents his six weeks as an Amazon warehouse worker in his podcast, Peak Salvation. Hear more about his experience on the GeekWire podcast published June 11th. See the show notes for links to our coverage from Amazon Remars and videos of Amazon's new robots in action. And coming soon, a conversation with the engineer in charge of Amazon's Astro home robot. Thanks for listening. I'm Todd Bishop. We'll be back soon with a new episode of the GeekWire podcast.